athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. I am your host, Donald Ware. I need I need some help from you guys, right? Like I'm watching the national championship game between North Carolina and Kansas. I see where North Carolina had this huge lead in the first half. And Kansas just was not playing well, and it was all North Carolina. I was in New Orleans this past weekend, and... I, I, I was just tired, so I went to bed. I woke up to see the to see that Kansas had won the national championship. I thought it was I thought it was a dream. So you're gonna have to help me with this. Did North Carolina actually lose the national championship game, meaning give it away, or did Kansas take or win the national championship game? That's what I need to know. I mean, I think if you have a 16-point lead, I mean, anything can happen in college basketball. Uh, Really in basketball, I mean, even in the NBA, I mean, 30-point leads. I mean, we saw earlier this year, or not that much earlier this year, but maybe like a month and a half ago where the Wizards had a 33-point lead on the Clippers and ultimately lost that basketball game. So, I mean... Anything can happen. I think if you have a 20-point lead in college basketball, it is not insurmountable. I think the issue is that this was the national championship game. And so, again, I'll pose the question again. Did Kansas take the national championship game? Did Kansas win it? Or did North Carolina lose the national championship game? And I'm going to have some more thoughts. I mean, I... You know, I need that question answered for me because, listen, I think you have to watch things in context. I'm all about context. And, yeah, I can look at the stats and all of those things, and I can see that North Carolina out-rebounded Kansas by 20-point rebounds. And all of – there's a number of different things you can look at. But actually watching, getting a feel, the context for the game is so important. And I don't have that context, and I need your help with that context. So I also want to talk about with respect to UNC is that when you get to have this much success early and you're Hubert Davis, and I want to talk about the guys that are coming back for the Tar Heels. Uh, I want to talk about what the future looks like for the Tar Heels. I mean, it looks good. They've got a, they've got a, a really good, recruiting class there's no question about that but 
it's so hard to win a national championship. And this was Hubert Davis's first year getting to this point. Do we automatically think that North Carolina can get back to the national championship game next year and win the national championship game? They're losing a couple of pieces for sure. And so I'm going to pose that question and talk a little bit about that today on the program as well. So as mentioned, I was in New Orleans. I told you guys I'd be there last week. New Orleans is one of my favorite cities. It's that city that has the big city feel, but with the Southern charm, like there's no city like New Orleans. And I don't think there's any city in America that's like that. I mean, when you go up North, it's gritty, it's grimy. People are not necessarily nice. It's just how it is, right? I mean, it, be mad it's just how it is people generally are not as nice as they are in the south I mean you have some southern cities I mean not here in Raleigh but it's not you know Raleigh's not a big city right I mean you can look at Atlanta I mean Atlanta's a big city but to me and I've been into Atlanta many many times it doesn't I'm not going to say it doesn't have any charm but it doesn't have to me the charm that a New Orleans has when you talk with people they're so nice they want to help you and it was the same way this past weekend in New Orleans and you want to know one thing that I also found out now North Carolina is a state school or UNC Chapel Hill if you want to be technical is a state school Duke is a private school so when I was down in New Orleans you I think it was probably 50 especially on Saturday because I got to New Orleans on Saturday in terms of the paraphernalia that you saw, and I had a chance to walk the streets of New Orleans and be out and all of those good things. It was about 50-50 in terms of the fan base for UNC and for Duke. It was about even. The next fan base was Kansas, and I didn't see as many Philly people, or Villanova, I should say, as many Villanova people or many as many people that were wearing Villanova paraphernalia. But one thing that I did learn is that while Duke has a national fan base, and of course it does have a local fan base, but it's a smaller school, right? UNC has got a national fan base. And what I mean by that, I mean, they're going to be Tar Heel fans from outside of the state of North Carolina. I don't mean that. I mean in terms of people that, in terms of where they live. Like it was a bunch of people that I had a chance to talk with And it wasn't until like the last day I was in New Orleans, I actually saw somebody with a Duke shirt on and they said, oh, they live in, I think the gentleman in his, it was with his, his younger son. And I think he's, if I remember correctly, he lives or they live in Chapel Hill, but all of the Carolina people I talked to, as a matter of fact, a couple of them were from Pennsylvania. I talked to a young man. He had a Carolina shirt on. He he looked like he could have been in college. He said, no, he didn't go. He wasn't in school I think he may have graduated, but he didn't go to Carolina. But he said all of his family went to Carolina and they were all from Pennsylvania. So I learned that UNC has a national following of people that actually live outside of the state of North Carolina. And it was a beautiful thing to see. I mean, you talk about that Final Four game and we're going to talk about the legacy of Coach K on the program today as well because that was a big-time basketball game between Duke and Carolina. It came down to the wire. I thought Duke had definitely the advantage 
in the first half, but Carolina came on, stuck with it, and and was able to pull that game out. It was a really good basketball game. I mean, and I think, I mean, there's so many questions we can ask, right? Like, Duke, if you're Duke, right? Okay, I, I, so I'm asking the question to UNC folk, or just folks in general. Did UNC lose that game? And I'm asking Kansas folks too. Did UNC lose that game, or did Kansas win it? But then I'm also asking Duke folk, because talking about it with Steve Weissman, Last week and even a couple of weeks ago, I said, you don't want to be that Duke team that loses to UNC at Cameron Indoor, final game of the regular season for Coach K, and then that team that loses in the ACC championship game or ACC tournament championship game to Virginia Tech, who had never even been to an ACC tournament championship game. So I think the Blue Devils needed to move far. I didn't. I didn't know if they would win the national championship. I didn't expect the Blue Devils to win the national championship, but I thought the Blue Devils had a respectable season even. Now, I know Duke fans are going to say no, right, because you lost to UNC the last regular season game and in the Final Four for the first time with these two teams ever meeting in the Final Four. So I know Duke fans are not going for that. But for me, I felt like, even after the loss to UNC last game of the season, the loss to Virginia Tech, a Final Four finish is at least what Duke needed to say, hey, we didn't win the national championship. It's Coach K's last season, but we made it to the Final Four. Now, I think what may skew that is the loss again to UNC. Had it been a loss to another team, and then UNC's got to be feeling, you know, Duke's, Duke fans still have to be feeling some kind of way because ultimately UNC didn't win the national championship, uh, you know, and, and, and I think Hubert Davis put into, into per, uh, proper perspective after the game by saying, yeah, that was a good win, but we got to move on from that because we've got the national championship to play for it. I mean, the other question I would pose did, and, I, and I'm asking you guys because I didn't see the second half. Did UNC perhaps run out of steam in the second half? You're coming off an emotional victory two days previous to your arch rival. You get out good on Kansas. Did you take your foot off the gas a a little bit, or did you simply run out of gas? want to hear from you guys on that. So the HBCU All-Star game, I, I must say, was played on Sunday. Had a chance to call that game. As a matter of fact, had a chance to work with the legendary Charlie Neal. And for those that don't know Charlie Neal, Google him, okay? Before Ernie, before there was Ernie Johnson, you know, Ernie Johnson that hosts um, the uh, uh, NBA on TNT, there was, there was Charlie Neal. So if you don't know Charlie Neal, look him up. He's done a lot. You know, I would say the voice of black college sports is Charlie Neal, right? Had a chance to work with him calling that game. It was a phenomenal, not only was the game a really good game, But all of the events surrounding it, a lot of scholarship dollars were given away, a lot of check presentations during the game. Uh, Southern's band performed at halftime. I mean, it was impressive. And if I just give a guess in terms of how many people were there, I would say about 6,000 people. And the game was played at the University of New Orleans Arena, Lakefront Arena, which holds... I don't know, holds like 20,000 people. And it it was about 6,000 people. And they were seated tightly. You know, nobody was way up in the Raptors. So it's a really good, I thought, a really good turnout 
for that game and just a fabulous time had with it. Congratulations to Travis Williams, who is the CEO of HBCU All-Stars LLC, what he and his staff was able to pull off. We've got more talk on the program. Coach K's legacy. Again, the question I pose, did UNC give the game away or lose the game or did Kansas take it or win the game? Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. We'll be back. A lot of the real cheese showing love, you know what I'm saying? I really appreciate that. All the boy be coming out. All my homegirl be showing love. But a lot of folks, man, they still be looking like they don't know who I'm here. So let me tell them who I'm here. Rubber band, man, wireless to Taliban. Rolls on my right, get the large in my other Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get to Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 888-789-5043. 888-789-5043 The old renaissance is the new renaissance Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction This is the Harlem Brewing Company Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beach Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll! So come place an order at You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. So I want to hear from you. Did UNC allow the game to get away from it? Did Kansas 
take the game. Hit us up via Twitter at Botch to Row on our Twitter account, Botch to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. I want to talk about UNC a little bit because, listen, it's hard to win a national championship. It's hard to get back to a national championship game. I mean, when I speak about it's hard to win a national championship, look at Gonzaga, who had a prime opportunity last year to win a national championship, didn't get it done, and then this year ultimately losing in the Sweet 16. It's hard. I mean, you can let, let's look at some of the great coaches of all time, right? Let's look at a John Thompson. John Thompson got to the national championship game a, a couple of times, right? Ultimate two, three times, ultimately winning it one time in 84, right? Lost to UNC, the aforementioned UNC in 82, and then lost after winning the national championship in 84, losing in 85. It's hard. Look at a Dean Smith. Look how long it took Dean Smith to win the, his first national championship in 82, right? I mean, he had been the head coach at North Carolina since 61, finally winning a championship in 82. It's hard to win a national championship. I mean, look at Bill Self. Bill Self wins it with Kansas in 2008 takes another 14 years before Kansas wins another championship just on Monday. So it is it is hard. I mean, I, I look at UNC. I mean, UNC's got a lot. It's got a lot coming back on next year, right? But it's going to lose. It could lose a lot of guys, right? Like you look at a guy like a Caleb Love, um, and you look – you know, you look at a couple of guys. I mean, you look at a, a guy like a Caleb Love. You look at Armando Bacot. I mean, these guys are guys that probably will come back because you look at their draft status. It's not necessarily great right now. So if you get those couple of guys that are coming back, I mean, that's going to obviously be a big boost. You look at a Leaky Black who could, in fact, come back. It remains to be seen because he had another year of eligibility because of COVID-19. You look at a guy like a Manic, who averaged 15.2 points per game in a lot of respects was the face of the UNC program, especially with this run to the Final Four and to the National Championship game. It was a transfer one year. That's it. He has no more eligibility remaining. So, I mean, there are some bright spots some guys that could come back, probably will come back, will definitely put UNC in in a position to get back to the national championship. I mean, you, you got to look at some of the competition. I mean, where will Duke be old, next year? Like how do how good will Duke be? They're going to have a they got guys, I mean, you know, depends on how those freshman guys come in because Duke has guys that are going to play our first-round picks in the NBA this year. I mean, you look – I don't know what Gonzaga uh, looks like. You look at some of the teams uh, that – you know, you look at a Villanova. I mean, you got to know that Villanova's going to be there. I mean, Villanova had less talent this year. Now, and it could have been different for Villanova against Kansas. Villanova losing its leading scorer during the tournament, coming into that Final Four matchup against – 
Villanova. So that I mean that was definitely or against Kansas, I should say. So that was definitely tough to overcome. You never know who's going to be back in terms of the competition. It's hard to get back to a national championship. I think when you look at what Hubert Davis was able to do in his first season, that was an anomaly. I mean, give him a lot of credit. Remember, this was a Tar Heel squad that was an eight seed, was an eight seed coming into this tournament and played unbelievably. I mean, I think the win at Cameron Indoor last game of the season really put UNC into the position that it was in and to be able to make that run to the national championship game. A lot of things have to happen. I mean, you you look at these kids and you hope that they have the same confidence coming in, provided that a lot of these kids come back. And also, you look at this UNC squad. I mean, it's got a, a very talented freshman class coming in, but you don't know what you're getting with freshmen. So I think not saying that Carolina can't get back to the national championship game. I'm not saying Carolina can't get back to the final four. I'm not saying that Carolina can't win a national championship. I'm just saying that it's hard and I've given you reasons as to why you look at some of the great coaches of all time. I mean, Jay Wright is an anomaly. What he's able to get done year in, year out, competing, winning a couple of national championships here in the last five years or so. I mean, that's an anomaly. We'll see ultimately how things play out for Carolina. But I mean, from a talent perspective, and you, of course you can't rule out Kansas, who won the national championship. So a lot of talent coming back, a lot of guys coming in. And listen, this may be a squad that doesn't get back to the national championship game on next year. But the future really looks bright, especially, again, this freshman class that's coming in may or may not pan out in year one. But you got to feel like this is going to be a class that by the time those guys are sophomores, if they're still at UNC, really can make some noise. We'll see. I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to Hubert Davis, too. I mean, look at Hubert Davis's career. Great player at UNC, good player in the NBA, a good analyst. Remember, Hubert Davis was on TV with ESPN, decided to step down. As a matter of fact, when he decided to step down, he became an assistant coach. And then I think he was like the varsity, he was the head coach of the varsity program or the or the club program or whatever it was at UNC. I'm like, man, Hubert Davis is really, really good in terms of being an analyst. Does he really want to be a coach? You know what? I mean, who and, and then at, at, really at the end of the day, who am I to say that? Right. Like do what you feel is best. But he did that, got his opportunity and led the Tar Heels to the national championship game. So you can see that he's a good coach, good motivator. And we'll see what happens with UNC on next season in terms of the legacy of Coach K. Heartbreaking loss in in a lot of respects to UNC because now you've lost to UNC twice back-to-back during the course of the season to your arch rival. And probably you look at Duke, a more talented team, but just couldn't get it done. But the legacy that Coach K leaves behind. College basketball is definitely going to be different next year without Coach K. 
you talk about 1,202 wins, five national championships, 13 Final Fours, 15 ACC Tournament Championships, and I think it was like 13 ACC Regular Season Championships. (laughs) Had a tough time, as you would think, with UNC. Career record against UNC, and even 50 and 50 faced UNC 100 times, a record of 50 and 50, as you would suspect when you have this kind of rivalry, when you have an arch rivalry. College basketball is going to be a lot different next year with no Coach K. What this man has meant to the game of college basketball over the years, and I mean, there have been more coaches that have had more championships, like John Wooden, John Wooden, UCLA 10 championships. Uh, and there, and now I don't know if there's been any any other coach that's had five. I mean, I, I mean maybe there has been. I can't think of any off the top of my head. At least John Wooden has had ten, which is remarkable in of itself. But when you look at the legacy overall of Coach K, it's not only about Duke; it's about USA basketball. Remember, three gold medals with you as the head coach of USA basketball taking over the USA basketball program when it wasn't very good, when it it wasn't very good, hadn't won a gold medal in a while, really hadn't played well, and other countries had overtaken the dominance of USA. He comes in, restructures, a lot of respect, right? Like you've got NBA players, and NBA players aren't generally going to play, per se, for college coaches but coach k i mean all of the guys you got to know that all of the guys that played for team usa were recruited by coach k he's got that kind of respect and so he was able to lead team usa to three gold medals that's the legacy of coach k up next here on the program as we do each and every year we talk with some of the top college prospects hoping to hear their name called in the National Football League draft. Joining us next, South Carolina State cornerback, Dakobe Durant. I'm going to let a couple of our guests over the years take you to break, including the new Raw Women's Champion. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. Hello, this is Janelle Monet. This is Omari Hardwick. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. The girl rocks in the screen of the mic, y'all. This is Simone Biles. You know what it is. This is the one and only Vigo Double G. Hey, y'all, it is the EST of WWE. The strongest, the fastest, the roughest, the toughest, the quickest, the greatest, the best on Box to Row. Tune in if you want to catch the best BEST interview ever. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. And that's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I always say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just 
creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all and, and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you can get to it. <laughs> Man, you know what it's good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in FAM just because I wanted to major in business. And FAM, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, uh, Black College. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melogs. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Went to Salem State. I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. He called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So. I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a... You know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was playing for Coach Day. He gave me the keys to, to the car, and I was driving it in first eight games. And you know, being a part of something special like that, and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one, is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. Woo-hoo! And you're listening 
to from the press box to press row. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant, radio. The National Football League draft is just a few weeks away, and we've been talking with some of the top prospects, hoping to hear their name called in the National Football League draft. We're joined now by a young man who was a box-to-row All-American, participated in the NFL Combine and the East-West Shrine game. Also, he is a member of South Carolina State who won the HBCU National Championship defeated Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl. Cornerback Dakobe Durant of the Bulldogs joins us here on Tarot. What's going on, Dakobe? Nothing much, man. Blessed. Blessed to be in this position. What a position you're in because not a lot of guys are able to participate in the NFL Combine, and you were one of four HBCU players that participated. But let me start here. Give me your thoughts on winning that Celebration Bowl, a nationally televised audience. You guys were underdogs. You got it done and ultimately named HBCU national champions. Uh, it was just, you know, the atmosphere. It was a change of atmosphere. Um, you know, coming from South Carolina State, you're only playing in just a little bit over like 5,000. And going into the um, Atlanta Falcons Stadium, playing in front of like 50,000. Going against Deion Sanders and Jackson State, uh, a very high-powered offense, defense all around on the field um, in the SWAT conference. Uh, They dominated the SWAT conference. You know, we just had that mentality that, you know, coming in, we already knew that we were the underdogs. But, you know, um, Jackson State had all the social media hype. Everybody's talking about Jackson State. And, you know, we just – we just really consume, consume that uh, that underdog mentality, and you know, uh, let everything let everything play out on the field. We just let everything translate to the field. You know, we didn't really say too much. We just went out there and handled business. You did that. I mean, it's no. You guys did that. I mean, there's no question about that. With a resounding victory. Speak to the defensive game plan, uh, because you look at Shadour Sanders and the season that he had overall uh yet that that was just a masterful defensive performance by the Bulldogs yes sir it most definitely was um you know just coming into that game we just knew that you know um the game was going it was going to rely on us and we had to do what we had to do to you know limit them from scoring we had to limit our mistakes we only could beat ourselves so uh coming into that game we just you know um being sharp and just um, making plays when we needed to make plays. Yeah, matter of fact, you had a tackle for loss in the game. You made a play when a play needed to be made. You also broke up a pass. I mean, I I, I would assume that Jackson State, even though they had that bravado and the confidence and all that, probably still knew better than to throw the football your way. Um, At the beginning of the game, I gave up a touchdown. 
which, you know, as a defensive back, you just got to have short-term memory. Um, they put on their pants just like hey, they put on – we put on our pants, they put on their jersey, you know. It, uh, they D1 players just like we D1 players. And, you know, it happens at the cornerback position, but it's all, it, it, it just all rely on what, uh, what you're going to bounce back from. Um, see, me as a player, I'm never thinking about the uh, past. I'm always moving forward um, when it comes to playmaking. Um, and I knew when I gave up that touchdown at that moment, that play was already behind me. And from that point on, um, I stepped up and did what I had to do to uh, make my presence known on that field. It, it, it's interesting from some of the things that I heard. I heard some of the, you know, maybe some of the Jackson State players a little bit overconfident. We had uh, Coach Pugh on the show the the week after the Celebration Bowl, and he, he mentioned that he would have hoped, he said he would have hoped maybe that those players would have, uh, had a little bit more respect uh, for you all as Bulldogs. Did you – was that, in fact, the case? Did you get that sense, and did that also uh, kind of pump you guys up even more? Oh, yes, it, it, it definitely did. Um, we definitely had a sense of that uh, – sense of them um, having the urge to, you know, have that mentality like, uh, yeah, this is going to be a piece of cake, um, you know, from what we've been seeing on social media and what people have been saying, you know, it kind of just, it just kind of added fuel to our fire. And, you know, we just went out there and, you know, put that helmet on and just handle business and did what we had to do to bring the championship back to Orangeburg. Kobe Durant, cornerback of South Carolina State, hoping to hear his name called in the National Football League draft in a couple of Weeks, he also participated in the NFL Combine. He joins us here on Box to Row. Let me take you back. I mean, you've, you know, you've had a really good season. Not a lot of players tested you uh, per se. Um, but, man, that can I take you to the first game, the Alabama A&M game? Like, what a game that was, 42-41. to 41. You guys come up on the short end of the stick on that one, but you're on the road. And what a football game that was sort of speak to that game and just battling that high-powered Alabama A&M offense. Oh, man, I love uh, Kill Glass and, uh, and the offense and the offensive, uh, you know, scheme that they have. Uh, they remind me of pretty much like the Kansas City Chiefs. They don't really have, like, they probably got, like, one big receiver, maybe two at the most, and then the rest of them are just short, quick guys. So, you know, um, just coming into that game, Picking up uh, where we left off when we lost to them 31-7 to in the spring. Um, you know, I had three interceptions in the first half against them. And, you know, we lost. We came up short. And, you know, we just picked up where we left off. We knew that, you know, uh, that game didn't really need to go how it needed to go. And, you know, when we when we picked up and played them first game in the fall, uh, it was a shootout, you know. We was going at it. We was going at it. Nick and Nick, it was a great game, um, a great game to be able to witness in person, even better to be on the field, you know, just being out there. Yeah, I know you and Aquil have the utmost respect for one another. As a matter of fact, we we'll talked with both of you guys prior to this past season, and you're right, you got the three interceptions, and he said, man, I, I, you know, he, he, he got me, but I, I got I to gotta try to get him back. Now, did he get you? Now, he had four touchdowns and no interceptions. I see where you had a pass breakup, but – was he able to get you you specifically back a little bit? Uh, 
he completed one deep ball on me that I thought that the receiver was out of bounds. It was just it was my fault. But no, uh he didn't bounce back off of that. <laughs> <laughs> three in, uh three interceptions three interceptions, uh he didn't bounce back off of that. He didn't uh give a he didn't throw no touchdowns on me. I got you. Okay. To Kobe Durant, cornerback, South Carolina State joins us here in the program. Take us through the NFL Combine, the NFL Scouting Combine, and what that experience was like for you? Uh, the NFL Combine experience is a great experience. You know, coming from a small school like me, getting that opportunity to go out there and showcase my skill on one of the highest levels of training in front of NFL coaches, and not only NFL coaches, the scouts, um, and people across the world that's watching, um, you know, I got a great support system from my, my family and the town of Lamar, where I'm from. Uh, everybody who's watching, you know, I just went out there with the mentality that I'm the best cornerback in the draft. And, you know, I just went out there and I handled business. Um, I was sharp. Um, I wasn't really too too much worried about the drills because I already knew um, I'm fluid enough and I knew I was going to kill the drills. I was just really worrying about the 40. I won, I knew I was going to run fast, but um, – I actually slipped on my four three eight forty. Uh, it probably would have been lower than that, but you know, um, doors doors have opened for me uh, since I ran that four three eight. Wow, man, that is really that is that is absolutely phenomenal. And and you know, I think sometimes we, uh, meaning the public, and then also uh, NFL personnel, falls in love uh, with that forty time, which is great. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But you've got some real. Uh, ball hawk skills that you were able to put on display and some real skills as a corner that you were able to put on display at the combine. Yes, sir. Um, you know, it just come from uh, the training. Um, I want to give a major shout out to uh, my trainer, my DB coach, uh, Oliver Davis. Um, he's out of uh, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. He trains the top defensive backs uh, across the world, really. Um, you know, he trained a lot of NFL guys and, you know, he pretty much, you know, stay on me about, you know, doing the right things on the field technical wise and make making sure I'm sharp, you know, we send in each other videos and what I need to do and things like that. And uh uh one of my trainers out in Tampa, Florida, his name is CI. He played in the league eleven years. Uh eleven years I wanna say. And um while I was out there training, he helped me as well going through drills and preparing me and conditioning me to, you know, be in the best shape as possible when I uh, got on the field at the combine. A couple of more thoughts with Jacoby Durant, who joins us here on the program. I'll take you back maybe about, what, uh, maybe four or five years. There was a, a young man also from South Carolina uh, that uh, I believe was also redshirted. And during his junior year, he played against Clemson had uh, what, 18 or 19 tackles in the ball game, and then all of a sudden he was on his way. You, this past year, played your game against Clemson, two interceptions in the ball game. Talk about playing against Clemson and having that success with those two picks. Um, You know, Clemson game, uh, I pretty much you know went into that game that, you know, that game is one of the biggest games of my career, and I had to come out and show what I had show what I could do against power five guys. Um, just coming from South Carolina State, you know, everybody's like, um, you can't compete with guys on the power five level, all the negative talk, you know, but um, 
I just, you know, I consume all the negative talk. And I went out there and uh, I showed what I had, showed what I could do against guys at Clemson. Um, they showed mad, they showed mad respect for me after the game. A lot of them came up to me, talking to me and stuff. Like, man, you bought out, you did what you had to do. Uh, you, you definitely got yourself some, you earned yourself some money out here. Uh, you know, just going against us. You know, um, that put me on the platform to where I'm at today. And you know, I just kept grinding. Uh, I didn't just let that let that game be the game to this show uh, throughout this whole season. Um, I stacked I stacked every game. You know, I went out and you know gave it my all. No doubt about it. Last thought, you mentioned being from Lamar, South Carolina. How did you ultimately end up at South Carolina State? I ended up at South Carolina State through uh, Coach Harrison. Um, you know, I went to a prep school right out of high school. Uh, that that didn't go as planned. I was back at home. You know, I started working at FedEx. And I was pretty much, you know, second-guessing my, my football career, not really, not really knowing if I'm going to be able to you know, be in this position that I'm in today. So, you know, I reached out to Coach Harrison. He was, like, pretty much uh, enrolled, and you were enrolled in the spring 17. We are pretty much great shirts. You set you out that whole year, 2017, which was Darius Leonard's senior year. I set out that whole year, and then 2018 rolled around. Um, I walked into office 2018, like, a couple of days before practice, and I pretty much told Coach Pugh, man, you won't regret giving me this opportunity to be a part of that team. And from that point on, man, I I stood on my word, stood ten toes down on that, and you know I made the best of my career here. And uh, out of all the things that I did here, man, I did it in three years. Uh, I had really have another year to play, but you know, um, I, it was best to just go ahead and you know cash on out uh, while my name is hot right now. Yes, sir. There's no doubt about that. You are cashing out, and uh, chances are you're gonna earn a little bit of cash. Uh, playing in the National Football League. That the voice of Kobe Durant, cornerback now formerly of South Carolina State, hoping to hear his name called in the next couple of weeks here in the National Football League draft as he joins us here on Botch to Row. Kobe, great to catch up with you again. We'll be checking in with you real soon and looking forward to hearing your name called in the NFL draft. Yes, sir. Like Kobe said, I think it's going to be different for HBCU players in terms of getting drafted in this year's National Football League draft. We'll be back. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Roll, founder of Marjorie Speed Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see... That's the way we roll. So come place an order at marjoriesbeefjerky.com. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Who would have thought that the Los Angeles Lakers would not even make the play-in game? And that's the situation with the Lakers. No playoffs, no play-in game for the Los Angeles Lakers. When the Lakers made the trade for Russell Westbrook on last year and then began to sign all of these players, Dwight Howard and Carmelo Anthony and so many other players, the consensus was that the Lakers were going to at least go to the championship 
and had to be the favorites to win the NBA championship. I was not part of that group at all because I felt like, okay, you definitely can be competitive if you're the Lakers and you're able to get a Russell Westbrook. But the problem was the Lakers were not getting the Russell Westbrook that played with the Wizards the previous year. And while that Westbrook was similar in terms of the turnovers that we saw to the Westbrook this year, it was a better Westbrook. It was a Westbrook that even with Bradley Beal, had it not been for Westbrook, the Wizards would not have won that play-in game and would not have made the playoffs. Westbrook was the reason that that happened for the Wizards and the Lakers did not get that Westbrook. But the other thing was, I mean, you thought, I mean, did you think just, I mean, do, this this wasn't the Dwight Howard from 10 or 12 years ago. This wasn't the Carmelo Anthony from 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, you had, you know, you had some other, I mean, this wasn't the Trevor Ariza that helped lead that Lakers team in 2009 to the NBA title. Though that, I mean, these guys were well beyond their years, well beyond their prime. This wasn't even the Dwight Howard of two years ago that helped the Lakers to win the NBA championship in the bubble. I think Frank Vogel is getting in a, a raw deal because Frank Vogel, and, and we can look at any number of different things that should have happened with the Lakers in terms of maybe coaches that the Lakers should have had prior to Frank Vogel. At the end of the day, the Lakers signed Vogel. The Lakers won a championship, albeit in the bubble. And I don't want to hear that talk about it was in the bubble. I mean, a championship is a championship, and and a lot of the teams were facing similar situations. When I think about the really good teams, pretty much, if, if, if my memory serves me correctly, all of the really good teams had all of their star players. In other words, it wasn't a lot of guys that opted out because of the bubble on really good teams. So I'm not, I'm not trying to hear that about, well, it was a bubble year. And that year, the Lakers, while very strong in terms of LeBron, in terms of AD and all of those guys, that was a very good defensive team. In a two-year span, you can see from a physical standpoint in watching LeBron play, you can see that he's getting older. Is he, is he doing what he's doing in terms of uh, scoring points, in terms of uh, getting his teammates involved in all of those things that we know LeBron has done over the course of his career? Certainly. But you can see, from, especially from a defensive standpoint, from a, from a standpoint of not playing a, a, a high-level brand of defense, sometimes taking plays off defensively because of his age, no question about it. Plus, he's logged a lot of minutes for a guy his age. Not saying he can't play, he still obviously can play, but, I mean, you're asking a lot from a guy that is that as is old as LeBron James is. But I'm going to tell you, this is it's really, I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to think. I mean, you can, you know, a lot of comparisons made to that 2004 Laker team that lost to Detroit. That Laker team had Carl Malone. It had all of these guys in addition to Kobe Bryant, in addition to Shaq, and didn't win. 
who was who else was part of was um man who else i'm trying to think who else was part of that team i, I can't remember all that was part of it but that, that, that was like a dream team type of squad at least that team made it to the nba finals before falling to the pistons then it was all over from there and then kobe was able to uh, reassert himself about four years later, and I say reassert himself, he's still a really good player, but they were able to build that team back up is what I'm trying to say. Was able to get Pau Gasol. Uh, I mentioned Trevor Ariza, part of that 2009 team that won it. The team in 2010 had uh, Meta World Peace that won it as well. This was definitely a disappointment, no question about it. Can the Lakers bounce back? I don't know. I mean, I, you, you got to know that Westbrook is going to opt into his contract because I heard somebody say this, that Westbrook would be the highest paid player in the NBA next season. Think about that. The highest paid player in the NBA next season. Let's juxtapose the Lakers and then the Brooklyn Nets. And I think it's two different type of situations. You look at the Nets and the Nets coming into the season with a with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden at that time. I mean, that was a team that was definitely supposed to represent the Eastern Conference. With those big three, that's a team. James Harden gets traded. You get Ben Simmons back. I'm still like, this is a team that's going to contend by getting a Ben Simmons. I thought it was a bit of an upgrade for the fact that now you have some real defense and Ben Simmons just needs to give you something marginally from an offensive perspective. Well, Ben Simmons has not played. He is ruled out at least through the play-in game. And, I mean, will he play? I mean, I, I just don't see a scenario where he's going to play at all. Now, anything's possible depending upon what happens in the play-in with the Nets. I mean, I think even if he even if he gives you something defensively, I mean, that's going to be a good thing. And I used to think that in just going back maybe even a month ago, I was like KD, Kyrie by themselves could win a championship with the pieces that they have around him. Now, Drogic being out, that's big because Drogic was playing well before he he uh, got injured and then had COVID and, and hopefully he'll be back for the Nets. But I'm not be you know, again, getting down by 21 and give the Nets credit. The Nets beat the Knicks on Wednesday night, but the Nets were down by 21 points to the Knicks with Kyrie and KD. And I've seen too many of those games play out here over the last two or three weeks where I'm like, I'm not so sure that Katie and Kyrie by themselves and with the pieces they have around them can can even maybe make it. I mean, maybe, probably could still make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but may not get out of the East. One of the key players, because Seth Curry's also been down. So if you get a Seth Curry back, you know, you need a little bit more consistency from Patty Mills. Patty Mills was really a big part of the reason that the Nets were able to overcome that 21-point deficit against the Knicks on Wednesday night to win that game. But you need more of that from Patty Mills. I think some of the other pieces, 
you know, Andre Drummond is okay. He's not going to give you a lot from an offensive standpoint. He's going to give you some some rebounds. I mean, even from a defensive standpoint, I mean, he's solid, but he's not great. Uh, where's, where is uh, Blake Griffin? Uh, we haven't seen Blake Griffin. I think maybe they're saving Blake Griffin for the playoffs. And I think at this point, Steve Nash, that's exactly what he's doing. I, you know, I, can the Nets, i got to change my tune a little bit. Can the Nets win a championship with just KD and Kyrie, no Ben Simmons? I don't know at this point. Can they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals? We'll see. I think the East is wide open. I mean, you look at Miami, uh, you know, you look at the Bucs. I mean, I, I think right now you would have to say that the Bucs are the, are the favorites coming into this. And I didn't think that coming into last year. I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you lose, you know, a P.J. Tucker, I mean, I thought that was huge for the Bucs because he brought that toughness, that defensive presence, and he was going to knock down that wide-open three-pointer from the corner. And so I thought missing him, but, but you know, I, I mean, Giannis is just unbelievable. I mean, Middleton, I mean, th- that's a good team, and I think right now the Bucks have to be the favorites. I'm not sleeping on the 76. I mean, anybody at this point could really come out of the Eastern Conference. Listen, uh, before we get out of here, so you know about, and we hadn't talked about this in a while, and we need to keep this at the forefront as the National Football League continues to struggle with the hiring of black head coaches. And now they've implemented a situation where now you have to, there has to be a minority candidate that has to be part of your offensive staff. Uh, That is a mandate now, but we still go back to the Brian Flores suit, which is still out there. And now joining the suit, a couple of other former coaches have joined the suit. Former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes and then Ray Horton both have also joined this Brian Flores suit. Now I look at Steve Wilkes as the head coach of the Cardinals going back a couple of years ago, and he did get a raw deal. First year, I think the Cardinals maybe won four games. Uh, you didn't, and they had, um, they had, they had just drafted Rosen at the quarterback, and all of a sudden he's out. You know, really, Steve Wilkes got his start. As a matter of fact, if you didn't know this, Steve Wilkes got his start as an assistant coach at Johnson C. Smith, uh, and then Savannah State before moving on to Illinois State, and then up the ladder to finally becoming the head coach of the Cardinals. And so we'll keep our eye on this. Steve Wilkes joining that Brian Flores suit is huge because you're talking about a guy that was one year, didn't get an opportunity out of the out as head coach. And who knows if he'll ever get you. You haven't heard him as a head coaching candidate more recently. So, you know, it's good to see him. And I think this needs to be brought to light. And I'm glad Steve Wilkes is a part of this suit. Got to get ready to run. Want to thank Kobe Durant for joining us today here on the program. Remember, our HBCU NFL Draft Chronicles and those conversations can be found on our website at BoxToRow.com. If you missed any part of this show, you can also check this show out on our website next week, BoxToRow.com. 
Bet.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Box to Row is produced by DW Communications. Extraordinary, I love too much to carry Possessed by a demon on a mission No man alive could refuse a proposition from this fantasy But to me she was more than a bad dream She was a nightmare for me